I am a mom of two kids. And so a big part of my entrepreneurship career has also been balancing work and life and making space for what I want to do at home with my family. And uh, that's also something that I'm, I'm passionate about. And I want people to know that you can do that. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their business after a long career as an employed professional. We believe you should be able to do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with the founder and CEO of H2R Product Science, Holly Hester Riley. In today's episode, you will learn how to sell your expertise when it's new to the market and at the same time, have space for your family. Stay with us to hear all the details. Are you building your consulting, coaching, or small business following a long career as an employed professional? Are you tired of trying to build your business alone? Come meet other consultants, coaches, and small business owners on Friday, August 26th, at 12 noon Eastern time. We're having an open house so that you can experience a bit of what we do in the Smashing the Plateau community. You'll have an opportunity to think more critically about your work, meet colleagues who want to support your success, and learn how a curated community can empower you to make progress toward your goals. To register for the open house, go to smashingtheplateau.com slash open house. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash open house. At Smashing the Plateau, our mission is empowering high-achieving professionals to do what they love and get paid what they're worth as entrepreneurs. Now let's welcome Holly Hester Riley. Holly is the founder and CEO of H2R Product Science, a product management coaching and consulting firm that teaches the science of high-growth product development and the host of the Product Science Podcast. Holly is a former Columbia University research scientist and has spent the last 15 years leading product initiatives at startups, high-growth companies, and enterprises like Falcon X, MediaMath, Shutterstock, the lean startup company, Unilever, Capital One, and Weight Watchers. Holly also teaches at NYU Stern School of Business, as well as public and private workshops and has spoken about building high-growth products for events such as Lean Startup Summit Europe, Product Tank NYC, Parsons School of Design, and Industry, the Product Conference. Holly, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's great to have you on. Tell me a little bit about your career choices. So my career choices is, was a bit of a journey in my early career. I had actually gone to school for chemical engineering, and then I got involved in a startup because my husband at the time had wanted to found a startup. And I sort of just realized like, oh, I think I can help with this. You know, I've got good organization skills and I've learned some things about product design. And I uh, got involved in that and I just fell in love with tech startups. And I love the pace of change and learning and the people around me. And so I uh, started a career in tech startups. And how much of your chemical engineering education was directly related to the work in tech startups? 
Directly related, not much, but I think definitely, you know, I think a lot about process design and I think about the way that we develop products and the process design of designing the development process. So, you know, we learned things like control systems, which were ways to keep a chemical plant from exploding, but they also involved things like, you know, having inspection points and making sure that you've got mechanisms to move a chemical reaction, you know, back towards where it needs to go. I love using things like that in product development and making sure that there's, you know, inspection points for how the product is developing and mechanisms for guiding it in the direction that it needs to go. Right. So the the process part has a lot of similarity. Yes. And within startups, what caused you to focus on product initiatives specifically? I basically just really was gravitating towards that because it was fun and it had a good mix of both analytical and, you know, sort of liberal arts skills needed because you have to do a lot of communication, a lot of vision building, a lot of collaboration with with coworkers, but you also have to be analytical enough to, you know, talk to the engineers to understand what they're talking about and to, you know, understand the data and be able to work with metrics. And so it really used, uh, you know, a wide breadth of my skills and that that's been really fun for me. And in your career, how much of your work has been as an employee and how much as an entrepreneur? So I always like to say I've been doing, you know, product for 15 years and the first five years were early stage startups of less than 10 people. And so the first one, I was a co-founder and that was several years. And then I became an employee for the second one. So then I was an employee for about seven years. And then I founded my own company and went back to being an entrepreneur. And I've been doing that. It's been five years since my company was founded. Yeah. And when you were in school, did you want to follow an entrepreneurial path versus a career path as an employee? I wanted to be a research professor and a teaching professor. So I guess, I, I mean, technically they're an employee, but it's kind of an entrepreneurial venture as well because you're, you're really guiding your research and you, know, you have to go out and seek funding and things like that. Interesting. And what were some of the hurdles along the way about um, in, in this transition into entrepreneurship that you faced and, and maybe were unexpected? Mm. <laughs> well, the one that comes to mind the most is like how difficult it is to manage finances and stay on top of, of all of the paperwork and things like that that are involved. That definitely, you know, I was always very organized and I thought I would be fine, but it was a bit overwhelming at points. I also think that one thing that sometimes is a challenge is, is self-motivating and, and staying on track. But, you know, certainly that's not enough of a challenge to stop me. How did you find solutions for those two issues? So you mentioned the tracking finances and then staying self-motivated. So on the finances side, I definitely, you know, read up on finances for small business owners. And then I sought, you know, professionals to do my taxes and to be my accountant. And, and that helped. The first many years, I didn't, I did it all myself because I was trying to, to save money. And then after a while, I realized like I should pay someone else to do this because they'll, they'll do it better than I will. So definitely recommend going for the professional to help you with that, even if you're surprised by the price tag. And then on staying motivated, I think always having something bigger that I'm working towards is what really helps me, you know, 
get out of bed and get to work, um, knowing, knowing that big picture goal. Yeah. Having the big picture goal is really important. I actually want to do a little deeper dive on the, what you mentioned with regard to getting help for the financial issue. How do you know when it's time to get help? Well, I think when you realize that you're struggling to do it yourself. So when you're, you know, especially if you get to a point, like I, I actually got to a point where I was feeling kind of ashamed at how much I felt like I was struggling with managing, you know, independent business owner taxes and paperwork. And, uh, you know, once I felt like it was hard for me to put my attention towards it, I realized that I needed to, to get someone else to do this. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned being ashamed of how you were struggling with something, because I think mm-hmm. that is actually a, a common feeling that yeah. that many of us have, particularly when we're going into entrepreneurship after doing something else, and entrepreneurship is a new thing. There's, um, I, I don't know if you feel the same way I do, but I think that there's a this sort of a, a part of our culture is the expectation that we should know how to do these things, particularly entrepreneurship. And there's nothing that's farther from the truth. I've yet to meet an entrepreneur who has built a successful business on her or his own without a team or without some kind of help. Oh yeah, absolutely. But there is a lot of pressure in our culture to feel like you're getting things done by yourself and um, to be independent. And so I definitely find that the more we can spread the word and help people feel comfortable with getting help and leaning on a team, the better. Let's talk a little bit about the what you mentioned with regard to the price tag. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about getting help where there's a hefty price tag? Mm. Well, I think that it's hard to make that decision about whether you should you know, pay that price, but it also usually is indicative of the value that they're going to provide and the skill that they have. And so, you know, if you're paying a a tax lawyer and they're, you know, charging you, you know, four figures and, but you realize that, you know, you need that skill and that's why they're able to charge that much. And so it, you have to, you have to overcome that. Yeah. So now let's talk a little bit about the the Mm self-motivation. How did you realize that you needed some method of staying motivated? Well, that's a good question. I probably sort of applied my own processes to my own work. And so I, you know, realized like, okay, if it feels like things are slipping or I'm losing track of the big picture or I'm I'm not, you know, getting work done because I'm not feeling motivated, that I probably need some kind of inspect and adapt process that's going to be looking at what's happening and then giving me a a way to nudge uh, in one direction or another. And do you have a a structure for staying self-motivated? Well, I have the mastermind. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So I've been part of a mastermind with uh, David leading us. And uh, I had brought together several other people who are in a similar field to me or a similar position to me, which was basically entrepreneurs that are selling something that is relatively new to be sold as a consulting contract type of work. And so we have another product consultant and a, and a program management consultant. And we get together once a week. And with David's help, we check in on each other's businesses and what our plans are and what we're doing to move it forward. And why is it helpful to be doing this on a consistent basis and, and with peers? Well, because it 
gives me that inspect touch point, that place where it's like, okay, no matter whatever else is going on, no matter how much client work I have, at least once a week, I'm going to stop and I'm going to think about the big picture and, you know, what am I moving forward outside of just the client work? And that's really helpful. And doing it with peers is really helpful because we can learn from each other, but also we can support each other and provide validation of, you know, why things are difficult or share different things that we're seeing in, in, uh, out in the wild. Yeah. And I've, I'm also in a group, a similar group that, um, I find very helpful for the same reason, the, the once a week check-in and, um, and the accountability and the feedback and the support from peers. And in my career, I have been in such groups kind of on and off. And I find it's way more helpful when it's on than when it's off. Finding the right mix of people to spend time with on a regular basis, whether it's once a week or whatever the frequency is, it takes a while to kind of get that to gel. But once it does, it can really be magical. So thank you for sharing that. I'd love to talk a little more about what it's like to sell something that is new to the market, particularly when it is like knowledge or idea based. And so you're selling you're selling your expertise, but it's something that is relatively new. What what are some of the challenges that are that go along with that? Yeah. So one of the biggest challenges is just that the buyers don't have established buying processes. They're not used to buying this. And so they don't know how to evaluate whether they should trust me with the contract. And so, you know, they they typically have hired consultants or contractors for something at some point in their career, but they haven't hired them for product management is often the case. And they have this pervasive belief that you need an in-house person who's dedicated to the job, dedicated to the company and seeing the holistic picture to do this work. And it was definitely an uphill challenge at the beginning of my time with my business, figuring out how I convince people that they should trust me with a contract and that I'll uh, deliver results for them. Yeah. so, So how do you do that? Well, Social proof is definitely a big part of it and content marketing is a big part of it and network and the the strength of my network is a big part of it. So by social proof, I mean, you know, being able to say things like I teach at NYU Stern or, you know, I've spoken at this conference and that, you know, helps build credibility. And then quite a lot of my work comes through my network. And so, you know, somebody else that they trust or who has, you know, more cachet than I do is telling them, you want to work with Holly. And so that's um, definitely a big influence point. And then in the content marketing is is really how I got my, my name out there and, um, you know, built up some of these relationships that send me the referrals by engaging with other thought leaders in uh, social media and um, occasionally at conferences. So there's a connection between the content marketing and the networking. Yes, definitely. How did you figure out your own content marketing process? I've read a lot of different people's guides on content marketing and how to do it. And then I made myself checklists. So I I have uh, a Trello board or a, now it's on Notion, but, uh, you know, a, a Kanban style board that has the different phases, like ideas in one column and, you know, things that are being drafted in another column. And then, you know, a phase for the editing and review. And I give myself checkpoints like that. 
so that if I'm doing a written article, I try to make sure that I, you know, get some feedback from people before I publish it. And then I have like an SEO checklist and, uh, you know, things like that, that I'll use to just go through the whole process. Where do you distribute your content? What channels? So my primary content is my podcast. And so that I distribute, I use anchor.fm to distribute it through all the places that podcasts are listened to. And then for written content, I email it out. I, I put it on my website and I often post it on Medium as well. How did you decide like what channels and what methods you were going to be using for distribution? Like why, why a podcast, for example? So for me, the podcast made a lot of sense because... One of my skills is talking to people and getting them to share, you know, interesting insights and stories from their lives. And it's a thing that I love to do. So it's also a lot of fun for me. And I'm able to do it much faster than I can write a good article because, you know, I spend an hour recording the podcast. I spend a little bit of time doing research to find the podcast guests and a little bit of time after the podcast to put together the show notes and pick the title and things like that. But all in all, that adds up to a lot less time than what it takes me to write a good article. What percent of your time would you say you devote to content marketing? That's a good question. I would say... Off the top of my head, 5 to 10%. That's pretty good. It is. Yeah. yeah. That sounds very efficient to me. Yes. Because I can tell you, I probably spend way more than that. Well, you produce more content than I do. Oh, yeah, I guess there is a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the, the networking part, what system or processes do you use to build your network? Well... I definitely, in the early days of running my own business, reached out to you know f- favorite past colleagues and just sort of asked them to go out to coffee or to put me in touch with somebody who might be in a buying position to go out to coffee with and just to talk to other people, whether they were potential buyers or they were maybe people who'd done something like this before as well, or even just... Um, mid-career people who might not have the power to buy, but could give me insight into how product was working at a different company. So I did a lot of coffees in my first couple of years to the point where I started having to be like, okay, maybe sometimes I should just meet somebody for a walk because I'm drinking too much coffee. (laughs) And then from there, you know, people introduce you to other people and then, you know, you talk to them and then at a certain point, it sort of snowballed to, I guess, a tipping point where, now, you know, I have this network and I, I feel like I have to invest in it, but it also is just paying dividends from the investment that I made years ago. To have patience, perseverance, and be consistent. Yes, absolutely. It's incredible how much, you know, work I get today that is related to something I did two, three years ago in networking. Yeah, that's actually really great advice. Holly, what advice would you have for somebody who is in the early stages of a consulting business trying to sell something that is relatively new to the market? I would say do your discovery work. You have as many informal conversations. You know, you don't have to always be selling. You can just be learning. And I think in the early days when you're trying to figure out, you know, what are the problems I can solve? What are the things that my buyers have done before to try to solve those problems? And what do their purchasing 
processes look like. Just kind of being a detective and learning as much of that as you can can help you put together a plan that that will work. Sounds great. And when you look forward to much later in your career, what would you love to be well-known for? I would love to be well-known for providing a process with really tactical, tangible impact that has helped product managers build good products earlier in their careers. Sounds great. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to share before we close out? This is maybe not so related, but I am a mom of two kids. And so a big part of my entrepreneurship career has also been balancing work and life and making space for what I want to do at home with my family. And uh, that's also something that I'm, I'm passionate about. And I want people to know that you can do that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Holly, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau and share your story and your insights and, and be so forthcoming about how you have built a fabulous business. My guest today has been the founder and CEO of H2R Product Science, Holly Hester Riley. Thank you again, Holly, for joining us. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, You'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. On today's episode with Holly Hester Riley, we learned how to sell your expertise when it's new to the market and at the same time have space for your family. Are you building your consulting, coaching, or small business following a long career as an employed professional? Are you tired of trying to build your business alone? Come meet other consultants, coaches, and small business owners on Friday, August 26th at 12 noon Eastern Time. We're having an open house so that you can experience a bit of what we do in the Smashing the Plateau community. You'll have an opportunity to think more critically about your work, meet colleagues who want to support your success, and learn how a curated community can empower you to make progress toward your goals. To register for the open house, go to smashingtheplateau.com slash open house. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash open house. At Smashing the Plateau, our mission is empowering high achieving professionals to do what they love and get paid what they're worth as entrepreneurs. I'm David Schreiner Khan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.